Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe. The podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can now find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Batman v Superman and Planet Hulk episodes. On today's show, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended on last week's podcast. Those were The Dark Knight Returns and Superman and Batman Generations. But before any of that, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. And we'll kick things off with a whole pile of DC news, uh, starting with the news that Ben Affleck has confirmed that while he's only contracted for Batman v Superman and the upcoming two Justice League movies with Warner Brothers, he has in fact also written his own solo Batman script, which we keep hearing rumblings about. Now, I'm as close to 100% sure that that movie is going to happen as I can possibly be, and I think it's just a case of when. But... Say the worst does come to the worst, and Affleck departs the DC Universe after Justice League. Of all the big screen heroes, it seems like Batman is the closest to James Bond, and by that I mean the easiest to recast. Now to the upcoming Wonder Woman movie, which released a new image from the film featuring the four Amazonian warriors. Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, Connie Nielsen's Queen Hippolyta, Robin Wright's General Antiope, and Lisa Love and Kongsley's Lieutenant Menelip are featured wearing various shades of golden armour, complete with lots of shields and weaponry. Director Patty Jenkins has been talking about the image and spoke about how she wanted her hero to look hot as hell, as well as fight like a badass in a way that is authentic and real and appealing to women and that their wearing of high heels in the photo is total wish fulfilment on her part. And Wonder Woman's screenwriter could also be bringing another new character to the DC movie universe, with Jason Fuchs having been hired by Warner Brothers to write a script based on Lobo. Now, Lobo is a character that, even after more than a year of doing this podcast, I still know nothing about but apparently he's an alien mercenary and a bounty hunter who is kind of in the anti-hero mould, but that Fuchs would probably start from scratch with his own take on the character. Now, the Lobo movie was first in development before DC's universe really started taking shape, with San Andreas director Brad Payton broadening the project back in 2012. Over to Suicide Squad now, yes, more DC, with a report today from Birth Movies Death suggesting that the film is heading for major reshoots to add both humour and lighten the tone of the film. 
The site's report suggested that the film's very well-received trailer doesn't actually accurately reflect the final product, and that these reshoots would aim to bring the movie more in line with that trailer. Of course, you can't talk about this kind of thing in a vacuum, and if it is true, it's possible that the tepid critical response to the grimdark of Dawn of Justice played into things, and almost certainly that the mammoth box office performance of Deadpool did as well. And speaking of that success of Deadpool, we predicted back when that movie hit big that the development process of X-Factor and New Mutants at Fox would probably speed up. And that certainly seems to be the case for the latter, at least, with producer Simon Kinberg speaking about the movie this week. New Mutants is set to be directed by Josh Boone, and Kinberg revealed that the plan for the film is to integrate mutants from the main film franchise into the movie, but that there is also a long list of new mutants from the comics in contention to make the team. He also added that the film is likely to have a more young adult vibe than the main franchise does, which is probably why they hired the director of The Fault of Our Stars, I'd guess. Okay, and some late-breaking news. I'm uh, recording this as an insert after the rest of the podcast because it appears that New Mutants has actually had some cast announced tonight. Now, fingers crossed that this isn't a April Fool, um, because if it is, I've fallen for it. But it looks like James McAvoy's Professor X and Alexandra Ship's Storm will be the members of the main X-Men cast moving over into New Mutants. We've also heard that Maisie Williams, Game of Thrones star, will be taking the role of Wolfsbane, also known as Rain Sinclair, and that Anya Taylor-Joy will play Ilyana Rasputin, also known as Magic, from the comics. Um, Hitfix are also reporting that Cannonball, Sunspot and Mirage will be cast, so that is our New Mutants update. Very exciting. Now to some animated DC, because launching alongside the release of Batman v Superman last week was the first, and since then we've had the second trailer for the Lego Batman movie, which of course features Will Arnett's version of the character from the Lego movie getting his very own spin-off. This film will be directed by Chris McKay, who is an animation director on the Lego movie, and was written by Seth Graham Smith, who will direct the upcoming live-action Flash movie. Now, the trailers so far have poked fun at all of the previous screen iterations of Batman. Um, they've highlighted Ray Fiennes' Alfred and showed off the involvement of the rest of the Justice League and featured practically all of Batman's rose gallery, as far as I can tell. It looks fun and silly to me, and I think, as a podcast, we're all in. To a film that we haven't really discussed on the podcast now, and that is Kingsman, The Secret Service, which was a bit of a hit last year, and I think we're definitely going to have to get round to featuring it on a future episode of the podcast. In fact, we'll probably have to do that sooner rather than later, probably before the sequel comes out next year on June the 10th, which we now know will be called Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Julianne Moore will play the villain whose name is Poppy, and Halle Berry is also joining the cast as the head of the CIA. Personally, my fingers are just crossed that this is better than the last Mark Miller big screen sequel, Kick-Ass 2. The Tick is being rebooted by Amazon Prime, and there was a bit of a rollercoaster reaction to that news as it slowly broke last week. First came the news that this was a new take on the live-action series, and not in fact a revival of the show starring Patrick Warburton, which ran for just nine episodes in 2001. 
Slightly better news, Warburton would still be returning as an exec producer, and that was reason to be a little bit upbeat. But then practically everyone was run around with the announcement that Peter Serafinowicz would in fact be starring in the title role this time around, which I think we can all agree seems like pretty perfect casting. Ben Edlund, who wrote the Tick comics and created the 2001 series, is back as a writer and exec producer, and Griffin Newman and Valerie Curry will star as Arthur and Dot in the series, respectively. The pilot itself is set to be directed by legendary cinematographer and Transcendence director Wally Pfister. And finally, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. spin-off, which was first mooted a year ago, is finally starting to take shape, with Marvel's Most Wanted rounding out a cast for its pilot. The show will centre on Adrian Palicki's Bobby Morse and Nick Blood's Lance Hunter, who will be on the run following the events of the latest season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and while on the run, they'll form an uneasy alliance with Delroy Lindo's Dominic Fortune, who offers them protection in exchange for help with his own roguish adventures. Joining the cast in the past week are Oded Fair and Fernanda Andrade. Okay, let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. And we'll kick things off with James's recommendation. This is The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, um, which I picked up um, actually a hard copy of last week, the 30th anniversary edition, which I have spent the last three or four days furiously trying to read both this and Superman and Batman Generations in, in time to get a podcast out not too ridiculously late. And um, I was surprised, actually, because um, The Dark Knight Returns isn't a particularly um, thick book. Um, so, I mean, this is this is a comic that I always hear compared to Watchmen as kind of like one of the real influential books of the 80s that kind of influenced a lot of the stuff that followed it and kind of transformed um, the way that superheroes could be written. And Watchmen's just a much bigger thing. It's a, it's a you know, big fat 12 issue graphic novel whereas this is whereas this is in four parts and i imagine that's kind of like four slightly extended issues uh maybe even double issues uh, i'm not sure but having said that it still took me an absolute age to read because every page is just so dense there are just loads of tiny tiny little panels that are created sometimes on a page where there are like um there are there's lots of kind of tv screen uh cuts into this of like the news media discussing what's happening with batman and you know you can get kind of like 16 of those on a page with little blocks of writing above every single one um and the dialogue can be really dense um and uh, you know, beyond that, just, you know, you, there are f- comparatively few big splash pages of imagery. It, it will be kind of maybe four, five, six different things that you have to take in on each page. And quite often the scene will cut a, a, a panel or two before the end of the page as well. So it it really did feel very, very dense and took me a, a long time to read. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be upfront about this. Um, I was a little bit disappointed by The Dark Knight Returns, and I say that probably because of its reputation. If I hold it up against, say, um, Watchmen, I, I preferred Watchmen a hell of a lot, 
And I know that Frank Miller went on to write Batman Year One, which was one of the uh, comics recommended last year on the podcast. I think possibly after our Batman Begins episode. And that was something that, you know, was by the same writer and I enjoyed an awful lot more. Obviously, this is one of those comics I think that is held up as much for its content as for its influence. And, you know, I I, I don't really feel qualified or enough of a, a wide enough of a comic reader and certainly a Batman or DC reader to speak to that kind of influence. So just judging it on what it is alone and as kind of an enjoyable reading experience, I would I would put it below those two, certainly. Um, and I thought as much as there was some good stuff, some stuff that I was impressed by and really liked in there, there were also some things that kind of made me raise an eyebrow a little bit. We get kind of lots of images of, or lots of depictions of... DC characters and Batman villains, um, what they are like in the future. So kind of this is a future where superheroes have been outlawed and um, Superman pretty much works on the government's behest and Batman hasn't had the suit on for quite a while, um, but he's basically drawn into returning again because of the way that things are going in Gotham City. And this is all playing out to the, in the background of kind of like Cold War stuff playing out as well um, with potentially nuclear war on the horizon. And um, and so that's how it kind of plays into wider events. And like I said, there's a lot of this of viewing Batman through the news media um, and vigilantism. And it really, <laughs> I couldn't help but get the feeling that it it was building a lot of straw man arguments to kind of put up against our hero. It seems like very heavy satire at times and um, constructed as such and it felt a little bit too cynical for me to really enjoy. And like I said I I felt like that it was because it was quite dense and difficult to, to read it felt like a bit of a slog at times and um, I don't know whether this was just because I'd seen Batman v Superman. I kind of felt, um, or because maybe I'd heard about various bits of this already, but a lot of it felt like foregone conclusions to me while reading it. I particularly didn't like the way it depicts an older Selina Kyle. I didn't like the way a lot of characters were drawn. I would actually say that I, I preferred the writing here a lot more to the drawings. I think Batman's supposed to be in his 50s and... It, I just couldn't shake the feeling that he looked like, despite being pretty hench, like he was maybe closer to 70 than he was to 50. But I will I will run through the story quickly for anyone who hasn't read this, although I'm aware that probably this is one that a lot more listeners than perhaps usual will have read. Um, so the first issue kind of brings Batman back to Gotham, uh, back to crime fighting, uh, because there are, the, there are these group of, of villains called mutants, um, and I wasn't quite sure whether they were actual mutants or not. <laughs> I don't think they were. I don't think they were. I can tell people are going to hate listening to me talk about this already. Um, <laughs> but the um, he, he's kind of drawn back in into Gotham because of these mutants who have a leader who wants to, who basically they they're threatening the police force. Commissioner Gordon's on the brink of retirement, and politically Gotham is unstable and. Harvey Dent kind of precipitates a lot of this as well. He is released from prison, hopefully rehabilitated, um, and 
uh, his face has been fixed so that he is no longer two-faced kind of it's both half of his face are now both normal and Batman is kind of hoping without hope during all of this because it's implied as well that Bruce Wayne had funded his um, funded his treatment that um, Harvey Dent wasn't in fact behind this but it, it turns out he is and it's what, it was one of actually my favourite reveals in, in the whole of the comic that when he takes the bandages off his face he reveals to Batman that he, he kind of goes like look, look more closely at me and tell me what you see and what Batman sees is although his face is fixed that he can tell that beneath the face what has happened is that the evil side of Two-Face has completely taken over and that he is he is completely a bad guy at that point. Um, so that's mostly the focus of the first issue. The second issue uh, is really Batman going properly head-to-head with these mutants and fighting the leader of the mutants. That's, that's also the point at which a young girl, I believe a 13-year-old girl called Cassie Kelly, um, has basically gotten herself a Robin costume and jumps into a fight to help Batman at one point. He is not conflicted in any way about bringing her into the fold to help him and uses her to eventually orchestrate a situation where he can find the leader of the mutants and defeat him in a fight. Some of the mutants then start following Batman, calling themselves the Sons of Batman. In the third issue, we see kind of Batman and this new Robin in action. We see Superman for the first time kind of building towards his involvement in the fourth issue. But the real the real star of this issue is the Joker, who... In an earlier issue, we see that when the news media start reporting on Batman emerging again, we see a Joker kind of in a mental asylum, slowly a smile coming to his face as if it, as if the Joker has been reawoken by Matt by Batman as if there is no need for him if there is no Batman, and so the Joker manages to get out, is interviewed on a talk show, and kills everyone in the room. And basically, Batman and the Joker, it leads to a big fight between them at a funfair. Not until after he has found and abused in in implied ways uh, Selina Kyle, who is now running an escort agency in, I thought, probably the most unpleasant aspect of this whole thing. Um, she's found dressed up as Wonder Woman when Batman finally comes across her. And basically, yeah, the the fight culminates in a Hall of Mirrors at a funfair where Batman beats up the Joker to a point where he is comfortable that he's not going to be able to return and cause harm again, which is to basically break his neck to the point at which he is paralysed but isn't killed. Um, And then the Joker kind of plays his ultimate joke by snapping his own neck and leaving Batman to look like a murderer. Um, As far as I'm concerned... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And I don't know, I don't think there's much difference in the, mon- in the morality between snapping someone's neck and leaving them on the verge of death than actually killing them. Um, but... Like I said in last week's podcast, I'm kind of sick of talking about whether superheroes should kill. Um, just, I don't know, maybe these superheroes should just stop beating people within an inch of their life because someone's going to die eventually. Um, but so the the final issue is then it's all building to the big fight between Batman and Superman at the end. Um, a nuclear bomb is sent by the Russians, which kind of knocks out all of the electricity across the United States. Batman recruits the sons of Batman uh, to help him maintain order in Gotham City. Um, Superman is the man who, like in Batman v Superman, uh, diverts a nuke up into space, um, explodes up there, and you kind of get a nuclear ravaged, horrific view of Superman. Batman, in the meantime, is able to kind of bring order to Gotham City in a way that is explicitly mentioned that hasn't happened anywhere else in America. So the implication is very much here that Batman is the guy in the right and that his insane Batmaniness is what's necessary. And so when Superman turns up to fight Batman, he's clearly he's clearly set up as like a government shill and he fights Batman and, you know, it really only lasts for four or five pages and you get that really famous line that was, um, I think it was used in the announcement of Batman v Superman where Batman says, I want you to remember Clark in all the years to come, in all your most private moments. I want you to remember my hand at your throat. I want you to remember the man who beat you. And so that is swiftly followed by Batman having a heart attack. So even though he's defeated Clark in a fight, Batman dies, except in a scene that, you know, is now echoed in, I guess, the last two movies to have featured Batman, kinda, um, although different people's funerals on each time, that there is a funeral for Batman and as he's in the grave, his heart starts starts beating again because he has used some kind of product to stop his to stop his heart beating. He basically set up the whole thing to try and make it appear to the rest of the world that he was dead and that they would stop bothering him, basically, 
Now Superman hears the heartbeat but winks at Robin and walks away. Um, and that's kind of the end of it. And Batman then starts training some, some of the sons of Batman and Robin to be some kind of, you know, force for good in the future. And obviously I'm aware there has been now two sequels to this. So that is not where that version of the character ends. Um, I liked I liked some of it. I thought it was very interesting as a um, kind of a historical read. As, you know, as trying to trying to place that as an important comic in comics history and, and see the kind of things that it has influenced. Um, weirdly, I think I got even more of the historical context of comics from the next um, comic that we're going to discuss. Um, but uh, so I don't want this to sound like I'm completely shitting all over The Dark Knight Returns and slamming it. And um, it just, it didn't work for me as much as I thought it would. And certainly given its reputation, other times when I've read comics with this kind of reputation, um, I've I've enjoyed them more. I'd maybe put it alongside The Killing Joke as something that uh, I kind of, I kind of liked aspects of, but walked away with major reservations. And I wonder whether that's maybe just something inherent to Batman a little bit more than it is to other characters. When you have these slightly more unhinged, fascistic heroes that um, I'm always going to have more trouble with this than, say, the unrelenting kind of optimism of a Superman comic. Um, but I guess I did enjoy Batman Year One a lot, so I'm, I'm sure it's not a hard and fast rule. Anyway, we'll move on now to the second recommendation. This was from Seb. This is Superman and Batman Generations. Um, it is subtitled An Imaginary Tale. Again, this comes in four books, which are kind of double length issues each. Um, they're split, so it's really split up into eight issues. Um, and they all take place 10 years apart and feature Batman and Superman bumping into each other on each occasion. So we get um, 1939, 1949, 59, 69, 79, 89, 99, which I believe is when the comics were published. And then one that is set in 2219, but actually flashes all the way back to 1929. Um, and... Uh, I'll run through the events of of these comics fairly quickly. The 39 issue features Batman and Superman meeting in Metropolis in 39 for the first time, uh, kind of both just about figuring out who the other one is. Um, Lois and Clark are not romantically entangled at that point, but are reporters together, and they take out a supervillain known as Ultra Humanite, um, who also happens to have a young Lex Luthor working for him. And um, a young Dick Grayson teams up with Batman briefly in this as well. Um, in 49, they take down the Joker, who is working with Lex Luthor. Um, all of these issues are kind of supposed to reflect the style and storytelling of the era in which they're set as well. So they're also this, these are supposed to feel like Superman and Batman stories that could have taken place during the during the 30s and 40s. Um, the 50s one is um, probably my favourite. It's absolutely insane. It made me want to read 1950s Batman and Superman comics. Uh, we have Batman flying around on this little helicopter thing to begin with, um, fighting a 
shed that has come to life only for um, a villain called, and I'm going to struggle to pronounce this, Mixes Aplicked. Um, he is a Superman villain, but he is terrorizing Batman. And then Batmite shows up to terrorize Superman. And the idea is that some aliens have tracked down these two kind of like impish characters and want to steal the best hero of our world. And Batmite is convinced that it's Superman and the other guy whose name I can't say is convinced that it's Superman. So they decide to test the other heroes to prove whose hero is the best. Um, And they eventually um, fool the aliens into... Batman and Superman eventually fool the aliens into thinking that that they've died and that that actually means that the two little imps were victorious and they are the two that are taken off to the other planet. Um, it was, like I said, just absolutely insane and so much fun. Um, 1969, this is when things start getting a little bit darker. Um, present and, and things really do get progressively a lot, lot darker as this goes through. When I was starting off, I was thinking, oh, this is just an absolute jaunt, like just a joy to read. And to be fair, Bruce Wayne remains pretty upbeat all the way through um, relative to other depictions of him that I've seen. Um, but there is definitely some angst and dark stuff that turns up. Uh, we get our one flash of the Justice League in this issue. Um, by this point, Batman has retired and Dick Grayson has taken over, or Bruce Wayne has retired as Batman and Dick Grayson has taken over in the Batman suit from him. Alfred has died and Bruce is now talking to Alfred as uh, as as a ghost. Batman, uh, Superman has two kids that have grown up. One of them has grown up powerless thanks to Lex Luthor, um, their elder son, that is, whereas their daughter has grown up with half powers and is operating as Supergirl. Now, their son is pretty nuts and starts shooting up people in Vietnam um, until his own platoon mates shoot him and kill him. Um, and then the Joker comes up with a plot to basically murder Dick Grayson Batman and is successful in doing so. So we see kind of Batman's son and Batman's de facto son and Superman's actual son dying in one issue. Um, so that really, it really, really is a, a kind of like major turn in the tone of this whole thing. We then move on to the 70s um, where things get even darker and um, Batman is now older, Supergirl and uh, Bruce Wayne Jr. are now dating um, and um, they're about to get married. Uh, Bruce Wayne disappears after hiking up a mountain to confront Raz and Talia al Ghul um, and and Bruce Wayne is then missing for, for a stretch after this. Um, then at the wedding of the of Supergirl and current Batman Bruce Wayne Jr., um, Lex Luthor turns up and murders an already aging and dying Lois Lane, murders Supergirl, um, and and does this using Superman's son, who in fact never died in the first place. It it was Superman was just led to believe that he did, um, but Lex Luthor then kills him afterwards so basically 
all of Superman's family is murdered by Lex Luthor. And I'm not sure that it does get much darker than that. That is, uh, that's the 1979 version. Um, and it only ends with finding out that Superman's son had a kid and that Batman is going to give that kid to Bruce Wayne Jr. to raise. Um, 89, we see, um, is, is kind of bookended by Superman murdering Lex Luthor, actually, and the comic then flashes back to show how that happened. Um, Bruce Wayne Jr. is now wearing this insane black batsuit, which I wonder whether might be movie-inspired, but looks, um, a lot crazier than anything I've ever seen before. Um, Batman and Superman fight in this issue, however briefly, um, that Batman being Bruce Wayne Jr. And we find out that Lex Luthor has never been Lex Luthor. He's actually been the the ultra-humanite in Lex Luthor's body the whole time. Uh, and Superman kills him accidentally, but nonetheless kills him, and it is, has been recorded by Lex Luthor, and Superman gives himself up to be contained in the Phantom Zone for the next 10 years. So that's the end of that issue. Um, in, in 1999, uh, which is kind of the, the the proper end of this big saga that's going on, new Batman Bruce Wayne Jr. goes up to find Rachel Ghoul, um, and uh, it turns out that Bruce Wayne became Rachel Ghoul those 20, 30 years back and um, has been working to change the League of Shadows to be a force for good. Um, he then recruits his son to take over his mantle, so he he and now immortal because of the um, because of the Lazarus Pit um, returns to Gotham to be Batman again, and um, lets Clark out of the Phantom Zone, and then Clark is able to reconnect with his grandson who um, was adopted at the end of the previous issue, uh, who's now operating as Nightwing. And it's just completely insane. There's so much of this stuff going on backwards and forwards. And uh, Superman, who also had lost his powers in in the fight with the Ultra Humanite earlier, regains his powers. Um, And 29.19 is kind of this insane issue taking place in space a century later, um, where the two immortal characters discuss dealing with boredom and have a flashback to their very first meeting in 1919 um, in Gotham City. Um, and there's a fun little adventure there. Um, and I I just really enjoyed this whole thing from a... Like, it was, it was hard to properly enjoy it as a like a continuity story. I just kind of was really intrigued to see what style the next comic would be. Um, and like I said, there was individual ones that I enjoyed a lot more. I probably enjoyed the earlier stuff because that's an era of comics that I've never read. And um, so much of it seemed insane and exciting and fun. Um, and it did become a little bit grim and dark and depressing the further it went on. But I did appreciate that at least Bruce Wayne Batman in particular, always stayed upbeat. And there is a there is a panel like a, a full or a full page spread in the um, the penultimate issue, the nineteen ninety nine version, where Batman is swinging through Gotham City in almost like Spider Man style, with a grin on his face, saying how great it is to be back. 
Um, and I just thought that was quite a nice, refreshing take on Batman, who seems to just progressively get more and more depressed with having to be Batman in every screen iteration. Um, and obviously, I just read this dark, grizzled, older Batman in The Dark Knight Returns as well. So I thought that was a quite nice change of pace. And strange to actually read over the course of those issues a more upbeat, happy Batman than the Superman who faced him. And I wonder whether that was just more reflective of their villains, perhaps. Um, But both of them, you know, kind of are forced to lose characters and have depressing stuff happen to them. Um, But I really, this, this was by John Byrne and I seem to really get on with John Byrne's style of comics. Um, I've enjoyed most of the stuff that's been recommended that, that he has done on this podcast. And um, I would recommend this to anyone who can get their hands on it. I know from interacting with um, a listener on Twitter that this is hard to get hold of digitally, and um, I was lucky enough to have Seb to lend this to me. But if you but if you can get your hands on it, I would recommend it. I think it's a load of fun. Obviously, you're going to be able to find the Dark Knight Returns to pick up from practically anywhere. You probably find one, you know, in your, your local bookshop, whereas. This one's going to be a lot harder to find, but um, I would say um, worth it. And as far as I can tell from a little bit of Googling, there are sequels to this um, that fill in some of the other gaps in the years of of, uh, of the stories that are told here. And I'm very keen on revisiting it and um, finding, finding out what happens in those missing chapters, just because I had so much fun with certain aspects of this. So yeah, I, I this is strange. I came into this expecting that I would, you know, be able to wax lyrical about The Dark Knight Returns and kind of briefly swat away this second recommendation that Seb had gave me, uh, that Seb had given me. But in the end, I think it was the one that I ended up enjoying, enjoying kind of a lot more um, and was constantly surprised by. And I think that probably, you know, a lot of that is expectations and not knowing anything about something in, you know, contrast to knowing a lot about something. But I think this week, like I say, after season two of Daredevil and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, it was nice to have this different side of Batman and Superman. Um, And to... I feel, learn a little bit about the history of those two characters as well, um, which was really fun delving back into the Golden and Silver Age, which is something that I have very rarely done before. But that is it for this week. So don't forget that the next episode of Cinematic Universe will be focused on the animated movie Planet Hulk. Um, If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe to the podcast or leave us a rating or review Or head over to patreon.com slash cinematicuniverse where you can support us financially. You can find more episodes of the podcast at our new home, cinematicmultiverse.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cu underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you next week. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 